Thank you so much, Pastor Drew. This morning, I want to welcome you. It's so good to see you here this morning. I'm glad that you're here today and have come to worship the Lord with us at Bethel today. I see that there are some of you. It's your first time back since the um, pandemic, and so we're glad to have you in worship service with us today. Others uh, of you are guests today visiting for the first time. We are so delighted. I want you to feel right at home and welcome today as we worship the Lord together. We're in the book of 1 Peter. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. If you don't have yours, uh, maybe have one on your phone, you can turn it on, or uh, I'll put the scripture on the screen that you can follow along. 1 Peter is about godly living in a foreign world. It's a, he's reminding them, the ones he's writing to, it's a letter. It was a letter. <clears throat> pardon me, by the Apostle Peter. And he's writing, that's why you get the name First Peter, and it's written to churches in northern Asia Minor. That would be modern Turkey today. And it was written to churches that were scattered about. And this letter then would be read in all of the churches to encourage them. Because they're going through persecution and difficulty and suffering. He's reminding them this world is not as good as it gets. This is not our final destination and we have a home beyond this life and we need to live that life here in a way that brings honor and glory to God. It's just a, a great and timely word for all of us. So if you find 1 Peter chapter number 1, that's where we'll read from in just a moment. <coughs> Pardon me. A couple of things I just want to celebrate in. First of all, God is just working in wonderful ways in and among us. And this weekend, uh, we uh, have a couple of things to celebrate in. First of all, a few weeks ago, a, a young woman, a college-age student, uh, reached out to us and uh, we um, began to have conversation. And she was really distraught and confused about things and God and life and and had been dabbling actually in the occult and black magic. And this had really brought a lot of hurt and consternation and confusion. And uh, Jill Finley uh, was able to develop a relationship and share the gospel with this young woman. And over the course of weeks, she came to know and believe and the Spirit of God worked in her heart. And she was released from that, and she embraced Jesus Christ, and she has become a follower of Jesus Christ, and God has delivered her from that. And that's just a rejoicing thing. And uh, yesterday afternoon, she was baptized here in the front of witnesses and become a follower of Christ. She's gone back to school, and so we're just rejoicing with her in her faith. Secondly... Yesterday, we were able to give away lot, a lot of food to people all, and, uh, through a partnership with the North American Mission Board, and uh, uh, we were, uh, the, the Metro East area received 33,000 pounds of meat, and it was distributed in multiple sites and locations, and our church helped to distribute that food and help people and, uh, that uh, need that kind of help, and it was a great joy. And Brother John Shaw helped lead that charge, and I'm so grateful and thankful for that, that, that was happening. 
Today I invite you to open your Bible and look with me to 1 Peter chapter number 1 beginning with verse number 6. In this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. That the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found in result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you do have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look at this text together, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. That God, you would convict us of our sin. That you would comfort us in our grief. That Father, that you would encourage us in our faith. And I pray that, Father, that you would draw us to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Peter is writing to them. He's living in Rome. He knows persecution and hardship and difficulty by his own life. So he's writing to these believers that are going through hard times. And he's trying to encourage them in their faith. Now in verse number 6. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. He here in verse number six talks about the paradox of the Christian journey. There are two things that are taking place and they seem to be in disagreement with each other. But they're both true and they're in our lives and in our world. And in one thing we rejoice and in other ways we grieve and we hurt. And isn't that the way life is here in this world? There's both joy and grieving. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. In what? Well, we have to look back to what we looked at last week. He said, in this you greatly rejoice. And he's looking back into the verse before and he's saying, in this you greatly rejoice. That God did a work in you. You were lost without hope, dead in your trespasses and sins. But God in his great mercy came to you and opened your eyes and your heart and caused you to be born again, born from above, born anew. And you embraced Christ and he's come into your life and changed you. Folks, I'm telling you, when you've come to have faith in Jesus Christ and become one of his followers and been born again, you should never ever get all over it. And it ought to give you great joy in your life. And he says, in this we have great joy. Not only joy, but we have a living hope. He says, our hope is not wishful thinking, it's a living hope in Jesus Christ because he rose again from the dead. We have hope even though we suffer, even though we persecuted, even though we go through hard times, we've got a Savior who defeated death, hell, and the grave and has risen again. We have a living hope. He is alive, Jesus said. 
Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believes in me, even though he should die, yet shall he live. He lives so we can live also. He defeated the grave so that we might have hope beyond the grave, and Jesus is our living hope. He's ascended to the Father. He makes intercession for us. He's the anchor of our soul, and he is alive. Amen. But we also have an inheritance. We are heirs. We have become children of God, co-heirs with him. And that inheritance is kept in heaven, reserved for you. And it will not be corrupted. It cannot be stolen. It will not fade away. But also, he said you can rejoice in this that your salvation is secure and nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord and Jesus Christ has given you eternal life and nobody can snatch you out of his hand. He holds you securely no matter what the winds that blow in this life you're held strong. So this is joy. And it gives you joy that sustains you, joy that's with you, holds you, strengthens you, and never leads you. So the Christian life is a journey of joy. But the paradox, the hard thing, listen, is it's also a journey of grief, of hardship, of difficult and hard things. Notice what he says in verse number six, the Second half, even though for a little while, he says, if necessary, you've been distressed, grieved by various trials, hardships, and difficulties. He says it's brief, praise God for that. This time of living in this world in light of eternity is just a short speck of time. And he says, what you're going through is just a momentary affliction but it is a it is hurtful and it is sorrowful and it is this paradox that while we're walking in the security that God loves us and he's with us and Christ died for us but also I'm suffering and going through hard things in my life and grieving those hard things and it's both going on at the same time in my being how do I do this and he's reminding them you keep your eyes on Christ he too knows suffering he too knows loss he too knows the grief of that but he is with you. Amen? And what about persecution? This, they, these believers are suffering at the hands of other mean people against them. We're reminded of the words of Jesus when Jesus said, Blessed are you when men persecute you. Blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, blessed are you when men persecute you, revile you, say all manner of evil things against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for so, uh, for, because your reward is great in the kingdom of heaven. He says, listen, so they persecuted the ancient prophets before you. God is with you in this. In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 6, Paul describes this paradox, this thing that we're going through in this life. In 2 Corinthians, chapter number 6, I, I just want to read it. To, and I want you to listen 
to the two things, joy and suffering, of good times and very difficult times. Listen to how he describes his life. Giving no cause for offense in anything in order that the ministry not be discredited. Now listen. But in everything commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonment, in tumults, in labor, labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love. These are the positive. In the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, evil report and good report, deceivers regarded as deceivers, yet true, regarded as unknown, yet well-known, as dying, yet behold, we live, as punished, yet put to death, not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many riches, having nothing but possessing all things. He says, listen, he says, I'm living this life and sometimes it's beatings and imprisonment and hardship and, and despair and grief and loss and at the other time, it's the wonder of God's love and grace and mercy and kindness in my life. And both of these things are happening in me. Suffering in your life. And that's why Paul and Silas in prison can sing to the glory of God after they've been stripped and beaten by uh, authorities for preaching the gospel and thrown into a prison, dark, dank, filled with other smelly prisoners and hateful guards in the middle of the night. They're singing praises to God, even though they're in great pain and anguish and their feet are locked in stocks because they had a God that was sustaining them and gave them joy even in the hardest times of their life. And God is with you. He says, though you suffer from various trials, the word various means variegated, it means different kinds of trials coming from different directions and, and, and different unexpected hardships in your life. But in chapter number 4, verse number 10, Peter reminds us that God's grace is variegated grace, manifold grace. And so God gives us grace in the manifold troubles of life. God gives us the manifold grace to meet those troubles. My grace, Paul said, but God said to Paul, is sufficient for thee. Now listen, listen close. How many of y'all going through hard times in your life? Some of us are. That's real. What I don't like about some modern Christianity is this thing being preached. That your life's always, if you believe in Jesus, you'll always be healthy, you'll always be wealthy, you'll always be good looking. That everything's going to be an easy street for you. That's just not true. And the truth of the matter is we live in a world that's broken and sinful and has disease and heartache and persecution and ugliness in it. And in this broken world, we experience brokenness too. But the good news is that someone, God himself, enters into that brokenness to help us or we can't survive. And that gives us joy.
Amen? Amen. Now I want you to listen. Our suffering is not without meaning. It seems often meaningless. But there's a purpose. God doesn't waste it. Even though it was meant for bad, even though these adversaries did harm against you and injured you, God takes what they mean for bad, that hatefulness and hurtfulness, and he can work it for good in your life. He can work it so that he, he does a good thing in you and it brings honor and glory to him in the end. There's a purpose in our suffering. In verse number 7, notice what he says. Chapter 1, verse 7. Where you're distressed by various trials. He said, but that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable even though tested by fire, may be found in result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is the purpose of suffering? Number one, he describes it like a refiner's fire. And he says you go through suffering and it's like a refinement. God removes impurities and he removes in our life distractions or idols or things that lead us away from God. And in the suffering, he causes us to refocus and come back and put, uh, depend upon him. And run to him and turn away from our selfishness and say, God, I need you in my life. And it's a purifying effect in your life. That's why the Bible says in the book of James, he says we can consider it joy. He says, verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. And let endurance has its perfect result that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. God takes the hard thing. And he works in you, purifying you. It's like metal or gold. And it has to be burning away what is not pure so that the gold might be evident. Psalm 66.10 says, For thou hast tried us, O God, and thou hast refined us. Listen, as silver is refined. Listen to the way Isaiah says it. Isaiah 48, verse 10. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Wow. A hymn I quoted last week is one of the verses says this. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. God is working in you. He loves you. And even in your suffering, he still loves you. That's good news. Secondly, it not only purifies you, but it proves the genuineness of your faith. Faith untested, 
Faith untried is faith unproven. And when you go through the hardship, it has a way of proving the genuineness of your faith. Recently, last month, Christy and I had a wedding anniversary. We didn't go anywhere or really do anything too significant. We were sitting at home, as we do during these days. And, and she said, hey, you want to do something for our anniversary? And I said, yeah, maybe. What? She goes, well, she said, and Christy loves jewelry. And she loves diamonds in particular. And, uh, and she goes, Hey, why don't we just go to Paulette's and look around? <laughs> well, we didn't make it. But anyway, uh, I could go buy her a rock, by the way. And, but the problem is I could buy a really big one, but I'm sure she might want to go to a jeweler, and a jeweler might want to examine that. Is this cubic zirconium, or is this real? And there's tests to prove whether or not that is really a diamond. That can be examined and proven if that's real. Not everybody that says that they're a Christian are, is a Christian. The, the testing of your faith proves the genuineness of your faith. Not everybody that says they are a believer if they are a Christian is really a Christian. There are four tests to prove the genuineness of your faith. The first test is obedience test. Jesus said, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? You are not following Jesus if you're living in rebellion and disobedience to God. Second test is love. Listen, don't tell me that you love God, that you love God and you're a follower of God and you're a Christian and you don't love other people. Now listen, don't tell me that you love God who you have, cannot see if you do, can't love your brother or sister whom you do see. That's what the scripture says. And so we, by, all, by this, shall all men know you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. Love for God and love for each other is one of the, 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 one of the proofs that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, it's fruit in your life, the bearing of spiritual fruit. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. His followers will, ex will, will demonstrate spiritual sp fruit in your life, the fruit of the Spirit in your life. But finally, perseverance. When hard things come and the world, your world is shaken, the grief is real. But God Almighty holds you fast. And as you come out of that, it will prove your faith was real and stood strong. Amen? Amen. A lesson from Old Testament, uh, a lesson from church history is about a, a man, and this is in the 1500s in Europe. It's a time when the church and the state were welded together and, and 
the Reformation was happening, the change, and a time of, of transformation. And there was a man named Balthasar Hubmeyer, and he was a reformer, a part of the Anabaptist movement, which was a precursor to what we believe as Baptists. As a matter of fact, Hubmeyer was a gifted preacher and theologian, and one of the he wrote uh, many volumes of books, and his writings concerning believers' baptism is some of the best that has ever been written. And he came to believe as an Anabaptist that the baptism as an infant wasn't right, but he needed to, as a believer and truster in Jesus Christ, he then follows the Lord in believer's baptism as a new person in Christ. And he argued for this and taught this. And this, along with other doctrines that he taught, brought the ire of the authorities and they decided they wanted to turn against him and hated him and wanted to torture him. And this is not just government authorities but religious authorities that turned against him. He was carried away to Zurich, Switzerland where he was, went through an inquisition and they tortured him, held him in prison and beat him. And finally, because of his faith and his doctrine, they, they put him on the rack and they twisted the rack and stretched out his body until the torture of the pain, he couldn't stand it any further. And he, he recanted his faith in what he believed and said, I don't longer believe that. And he signed a document that said he didn't believe it anymore. And as he was healed from that, he was so mortally, just, he was so wounded deep in his heart that he just... He couldn't stand it. He said, denied what he believed. He embarrassed and discouraged all the Anabaptist other believers. And he left town and went back home. He, some Moravian brothers came around him, encouraged him, spoke to him. He, 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 he went to God in prayer. He said, God, I have failed you. He wrote an apology and said, I don't, dis, I don't disbelieve those things. I, this is what I do believe. And he went back to preaching the gospel and preaching the Lord Jesus and preaching the cross of Christ. And in that region, at the end of one year, six thousand adults followed Christ in believers baptism and they rearrested him and took him to Vienna they tortured him again and again and again but he would not recant his faith and they sentenced him to death on March 10th 1528 eyewitnesses of the account of his execution one of them was Stephen Sprugel Sprugel was the dean of the philosophical faculty at the University of Vienna. Vienna. Hubmeyer, he said, was fixed like an immovable rock in his heresy. With his wife exhorting him to fortitude, he was taken to the place of execution. They took him where there were, they had gathered large timbers and sticks to burn him at the fire. They With ropes, they tied him to the, to the wood and they were going to burn him at the stake. And in a Swiss dialect, this is what he said. Listen close. O gracious God, forgive my sins and my great torment. To the people, he said, O dear brothers, if I've injured any in word or deed, may he forgive me for the sake of my merciful God. I forgive all those who've done me harm. 
And while his clothes were being stripped off of him, he said, From thee, O Lord, were thy clothes stripped. My clothes will I gladly leave here, only preserve my spirit and my soul, I beseech thee. And then in Latin, he said these words, O Lord, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And they rubbed sulfur and gunpowder into his beard, which he wore rather long. And he said, O salt me, salt me well. And raising his head, he called out, O dear brothers, pray God gives me patience in my suffering. And as his beard and his hair caught on fire, he cried out, Oh, Jesus, Jesus. And he died, burned to death for his faith. Three days later, his wife was taken out to the Danube River. And they said, Oh, woman, recant thy faith. And she said, I will not. And they dunked her in the water strapping her to a chair and lowering her in the water, raising her back up. Recant your faith, O woman. She would not until they drowned her. They burned all of the books and they made them outlawed to be read. And anybody who has books would be considered a criminal. And they burned his books and writings. But a hundred years later, those writings were still being circulated and changing people's lives. And his death proved the genuineness of his faith. Amen? This is what God is doing in you. God is at work in you. God is with you, even in the hardest things of your life. But the ultimate result is that it brings honor and glory to God at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus Christ is revealed, the gold of your faith will shine to his glory and praise. And the whole nature of suffering is changed for the Christian when he realizes that our anguish brings glory to God. Wow. God's with you in your anguish and in your hardship. Yeah, Brother Tim, what about those that are causing this anguish? What about all of that? In 2 Thessalonians, chapter number 1. Do you think God takes care of that issue? He takes care of you. And don't you think God's going to make all things right? He will. In 2 Thessalonians, chapter number 1, verse number 7, it says, And to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in a flaming fire. Listen, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. And to this end we pray for you always that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and work of faith with power in order that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, God is with you. What God is doing in you 
is for his honor and glory. And when your life stands and when Jesus Christ comes again, all of heaven will say, this is my child who followed me, loved me, trusted me, obeyed me, and suffered greatly, but stood in their suffering with faith. And they are bringing glory and honor to my name. And all the glory will go to God himself in our suffering. Amen? Amen. Finally, in this passage of scripture, he's talking about their relationship. Some of the most beautiful words found in the New Testament. He's writing to these believers who had never met Jesus Christ. They are living in, in Asia Minor many, many years after the death of Christ. And Peter's writing to them. And he says, and, and he says in verse number uh, um, in verse number seven, or verse number eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. Isn't that beautiful? And though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice in him greatly with joy inexpressible and full of glory. He's talking about the relationship with God. And he says, even though you don't see him and haven't seen him, and you know what? Peter had seen him, hadn't it? Had, had Peter seen the Lord Jesus? Of course he did. Peter grew up in Galilee. He had a fishing business in Galilee. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus and he met him. And then he began to follow him. Jesus had taught using Peter uh, from T Peter's boat. He had gone fishing with Peter. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Peter followed him, left his fishing boat, boat business to follow Christ. Peter was there when he fed 5,000 with a few fish and loaves and had to carry the leftovers afterward in a basket. Peter was with him when he walked on water. Peter was with him when he was at Cana and turned the water into wine. Peter was with him when he was on the mountain of transfiguration and Christ became transfigured and Moses and Elijah was there. And he says it was an unbelievable moment of God's glory. Peter was there when they saw Christ pursued. Peter was there as he heard Jesus teach. Peter was there when they arrested him in the garden. Peter was there when they took him to be judged. Peter was there when he watched him executed on a cross. And Peter was there when he watched his Savior die. And Peter was there when they took him and they put him in a tomb. And Peter was there when Jesus Christ rose again from the dead and he saw him with his own eyes and Peter was there when Jesus ascended into heaven and Peter said I saw him but you haven't seen him but you love him <laughs> how could they love him whom they've never seen because I'm telling you, listen, this is just true. It's just as true of these believers he's writing to as it is for us living thousands of years later. Whenever you come and are drawn by the Spirit of God to Jesus Christ and you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, His Spirit comes to live in you and you are changed and you have a love for Jesus Christ that's real. The love of God is poured out in our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And you love him because he first loved you. And that love for you has made you love him. All true believers love Jesus Christ. And they have a real relationship with him. Secondly, though you don't see him now, you believe in him. He said, you're going through hard times right now, and you're being persecuted, and you have this faith that you believe, and you love him, but even though you don't see him right this second, you believe in him. That means you've put your trust in him, you're resting in him, you're relying upon him, and you have an unwavering trust in him in the midst of hardship. And you've anchored your life to a solid rock, which is Jesus Christ, and you believe in him. But not only do you believe in him, you rejoice in him. And you have a joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. Now listen to me, church family. That's part of the characteristics of those who are in a personal relationship with him. When we gather to worship, and by the way, I want to say something. Corporate gathering together of worship is important to us spiritually. And for those online, not all of you can gather, but those that can gather, it's important. Gather with your family, gather with your friends, and worship God. And he says, when you worship him, he gives you a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. There's something that happens when God's people meet in the presence of God's spirit, and we're gathered around God's word, and we're focused on God's Son, Jesus Christ, and we're adoring and praising Him, something that transcends, transcends what we do, transcends the words, transcends the music, transcends the lyrics, transcends that. It's greater than that. It's above that. It's more meaningful than that. It's beyond style, beyond composition. As you are singing and praising and worshiping, there's a joy that's you can't even express it, but it's full of glory because God is meeting with you and there's a sense of awe that we're in the presence of Almighty God. And I want to love you and adore you, God. You are amazing. But I can't even express it with words because it fills my heart with glory. That is because you have a relationship with a living God. Amen? And you're saved by Him. Verse number 9 says, Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. By soul, He means the wholeness of your life. Your whole life is saved. You, your, your whole life that was broken and fractured and messed up by sin, Christ has saved you. He's made you whole and complete. He redeems you and saves you in your mind. He saves you in your heart. He saves you in your spirit. And He's made you a new person. And your soul has been saved for all of eternity. That is salvation. And that's offered to you. It's in a personal relationship. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not being religious. It's not going to church. It's knowing Jesus as your Savior. Putting your faith in Jesus. 
Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It's in him alone. Have you trusted him? Have you put your faith in him? Takeaways for today are some questions. Number one, do you have joy in your life? Do you? Ask yourself, why do you have joy? Why not? Number two, how is your grief different than unbelievers? We grieve, but isn't it somewhat different? Yes. And number three, how should my, what should be my attitude when I go through trials and difficulties? Number four, what are the positive results of these trials? And number five, how would you describe your relationship, not somebody else's, but yours, your relationship with Jesus Christ? Isn't that the question? Heavenly Father, I pray that today we would consider these truths. And if there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today they would turn from sin and trust in Him. Maybe there's somebody online joining us today. They feel like they've drifted far away and the complexities and the difficulties and the grief and the hardships of life have overwhelmed them. May we reflect on the joy that we have in Christ, but also the sustaining strength that we have through knowing that there's a God who even makes our suffering have purpose. And God, we thank you for the relationship that we can have to you through Jesus. And may that relationship be real in our lives. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Amen.